0: I love you. It's good to see everybody here this morning, and thank you so much for tuning in online as well. Uh, you are part of our body, and uh, you're not forgotten. We just appreciate you guys um, tuning in, and we appreciate you guys being here as well as we open up the Word together. Uh, we're getting close to the end of our series because we're getting close to the end of the book um, of First John. And uh, So I have one more um, sermon after this, and, and you'll see that we're not even touching chapter 5 because chapter 5 is a review of the entire, the entire book of everything that we've gone over. So we're just um, in chapter 4, and then we'll end in chapter 4 and read chapter 5, and you'll get a review of what has been talked about. But the title of the series is called, So That You May Know That You Believe, chapter 5. John says, I wrote this book so that you know you have eternal life. In other words, so that you know that you believe. See, when you take God into you, when you accept Christ, there's something happen to you. I mean, can you accept a God and have nothing happen to you? Something's going to come out. Your mind's going to change. There's going to be a different perspective. There's going to be a, a different life. There's going to be things that are going to happen. And that's what this book's about, going through the principles that we accept Christ there's going to be things that is just going to take place in your life that are going to be different before you had God. It's just the way it's going to be. So we're just looking at those principles. What does a believer do? Believers test the spirits by acknowledging Jesus and listening to the Word. Believers test the spirits by acknowledging Jesus and listening to the Word. just want to read the passage, and then as we go through the passage, we'll explain it, but you'll notice that it is the same passage that we used last week, or two weeks ago. I guess I did not preach last week, but two weeks ago. So let's just read it, and, uh, and then we'll go through the different principle on it. Number, or 1 John 4, 1 through 6 says this. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge that Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world, and therefore speak from a viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we can recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. First thing I want to recognize about this verse is that there's many spirits um, in the world, and John breaks them down practically into two. Breaks them down into two. All these spirits are going in the world, but I'm just going to break them down into two, and where I'm gonna break them down into two is that Jesus Christ came into in the flesh. That is a spirit of truth. And what is he saying? He's saying that there's many people, many spirits that want your soul, many spirits that want to deceive you. But there is only one spirit that has come after you. Only one spirit that comes after you. And who is that spirit? That is Jesus Christ came into in the flesh to save men from their sins. That is the spirit that has come after you. So if there's 4,200 different religions that are in the world, and no, re- no religion proclaims that God came to the world to save people, that God came to the world to get people. Now we have Christmas, and we're celebrating Jesus coming into the world. Why? Because he is our King of kings, and he is our Lord of lords. He is the master. And if we're going to test the spirits, because there's multiple out there according to that verse, if we're going to test the spirits, this is a base to test the spirits. this is what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, is that you must acknowledge that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, and if you start to question the Spirit to see if it's true or not, put that in perspective of the Spirit you're questioning. What we talked about a couple weeks ago is, does Jesus get the airtime? If there is a church that is proclaiming a Spirit, if there is a person or a prophet that is proclaiming the Spirit, we can ask the question, is Jesus getting the airtime? Is Jesus being the one that is exalted? See, what John is doing, he's making it really, really simple and says, well, there's a lot of spirits out there, but I'm going to give you tools, two tools. And Jesus is number one. He came in the flesh, and if you believe that he came in the flesh, you are in the right direction. You might say, well, that's exclusive. It is exclusive. the reason why it's exclusive, because Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. But then you look at the 4,200 different religions. I mean, what do they have in common? If I start to think about it, the only thing that 4,200 different religions have in common is that they're all exclusive. (laughs) Or they would not be a religion. They would not be a religion if they weren't exclusive. In fact, we're all exclusive. We say, well, atheists aren't exclusive. Well, what is religion? Religion is a means of a particular system of faith. It takes more faith to be an atheist than not. In, in my opinion, it, it does. Actually, i just say, it, not even my opinion, in the world's opinion, it takes more faith to be an atheist than not. So they have just jumped into the religious world because it takes faith to believe it. And then you look at the, the different denominations, which is 36 different denominations, and, and we're working into these denominations, and you start wondering, well, which is right, which is not Right. I'll tell you, the ones that are right are the ones that proclaim that Jesus Christ came in the flesh and he gets the air time. He gets all the glory. He gets all the honor. He gets all the credit. He gets all the power. That's what we talked about a couple weeks ago. That is the spirit that is correct according to 1 John chapter 4. But he's, 1 John has given us another area to test the spirits, and that is what we're going to talk about today. The lower half you will see in verse 6. It is underlined, He's going to give you another tool to test the spirit. That Jesus has come in the flesh. That's the first one. Look at the other one. Whoever knows God listens to us. Who's us? The disciples, the apostles. Who are the apostles? They are the ones that walked with Jesus. Whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Who wrote the New Testament? I would say us. What I mean by us is John is talking. John is talking. And when John is talking, he said, I hung out with Jesus. I saw him preach. I saw him teach. I laid into his bosom. You know, all these, I saw Jesus. I walked with Jesus. He's one of them. He's the apostles who observed it. And When he observed it, what happened? Well, he wrote a couple books about it. And what are those books? Those are books we're reading. Those are the books we're preaching on. Those are inspired words of God that has been handed to us. You see, if you think about the New Testament, what's interesting about the New Testament is the New Testament greatest revival ever took place in the world, but what did they not have when that revival took place? They didn't have the New Testament. <laughs> they didn't have the New Testament. What they had is they had, they had a message. And this message is that God came into the world and died. And then all of a sudden, rose again. So they're proclaiming, he's the answer. And they're just telling the story about Jesus. And as they're telling the story about Jesus, what happens, what's taking place is John is writing books, Peter is writing books, and then also Paul is writing books. And as they're writing books about Jesus, they are giving each other authoritative power. In other words, Peter is saying Paul has some authoritative power. In other words, it's an inspired book. And then also Paul says, well, Luke has authoritative power, which is an inspired book. And so as they're writing these letters and sending these letters out, Paul was writing these letters and sending them out. Um, And then after Paul died, those letters did not die. Those letters kept on getting rewritten, recopied down to the exact words, and then handed to this community, handed to this community, handed to this community. 170 years after Jesus came, those letters were then what? The word of God, the inspired word of God. Of course, I mean, if you go through the history, you know, Hebrews was not in it yet, and Third John was not in it, and also James was not in it, but. 300, or 363 is when the entire canon was complete, the entire 27 books. And nobody has questioned it for the last 1,700 years that this is the Word of God. So when John says, those who listen to us, he is saying, here it is right here. Here it is, right here. Those who listen to us will be able to test every single spirit. Those who listen to the word of God will be able to test every single spirit that comes in contact with. So, how do you test the spirits with the word of God? It's a lot easier than you think it is. (laughs) Because when we think I got to test the spirits, I got all these things. I don't even know what's right. I don't know what's wrong. And I've got to. Test it with the Word of God. What do I got to do? Do I have to find the passage that disagrees with it? And then after I find the passage that disagrees with it, then I need to exegete the passage and then explain it. It's just completely complicated. Well, it's a lot easier than that. And, the, and I'll show you that it's a lot easier than that. In fact, we're going to go through four points explaining how to test it with the Word of God. Here's point number one. To test the spirits, look to see how the Word of God is treated. Just ask the question. How's the Word of God treat it. Dear friends, this is in chapter 1, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. What is a prophet? A prophet is one who proclaims the will of God, and we see it in the Old Testament. Consistently proclaiming the will of God. We'll ask the question, well, what is a preacher? A preacher is one that proclaims announces and heralds a message, heralds a message. You know, back in the day when kings reigned, um, kings always had a herald. And uh, what was a heralder? A heralder was the one that would relay the message from the king to the people. So the king would have this message that he wanted to give to the people And he would write it down on a scroll, write it down on a piece of paper, and then he would give it to the heralder. And the heralder would travel from place to place to place to place. And whenever the heralder arrived in a village, what happened? (laughs) The whole village showed up. Everybody showed up. And why did they all show up? It's because they wanted to know what the king was going to say. So, you know, you had the bell, hear ee, hear, ye, hear ye, and here comes the heralder, and he's all dressed up, and he comes in, and he opens the scroll and says, thus saith the king, you know, no more taxes. And everybody's like, yeah, it's good, or whatever, the, whatever the, the heralder says. But they weren't there to look at the heralder. They were there to hear the words of the king. The heralder, he wasn't trying to go inside and say, well, this is my opinion. Nobody would have showed up if it was his opinion, he was going there just to what? Read the words of a king. What is a preacher? A preacher is one who has the words of the king. It's not me. It just has the words of the king, and what he does is he just opens it up and says, Thus saith the Lord, and then gives it to his people. That's how it works. Thus saith the king, and then gives it to his people. That's what a heralder. Is Because it's not the voice of the preacher that comes out. He's just trying to, I don't know, plagiarize. (laughs) I don't know how you want to say it. The Word of God, so we can get the Word of God into the minds and the hearts of people because this is the Word. The Word not from anybody else, the prophets. The Word not from councils, but the Word completely from God himself. First Thessalonians says this, For this reason... We constantly thank God that when you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of man, but for what it really is, the word of God. Psalm 78.1 says, Listen, O my people, to my instructions. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Charles Spurgeon said this. It's Charles Spurgeon's my best author, and this is my best quote, and I will tell you that it's a long quote, but uh, it's worth the read. The Bible is the writing of the living God. Each letter was penned with the almighty finger. Each word in it dropped from the everlasting lips. Each sentence dictated by the Holy Spirit. Even when Moses was employed to write his histories with his fiery pen, God guided that pen. It may be David touched his harp and let sweet psalms of melody drop from its fingers, but God moved his hands over the living strings of the golden harp. Maybe that Solomon sang songs of love or gave forth the words of wisdom, but God directed his lips and made the preacher eloquent. If I follow the thunder in Nahum with the horses and plowed the waters, or Habakkuk when he sees the tents of Cushan in affliction. If I read Malachi when the earth is burning like an oven. If I, if I turn to the smooth pages of John who tells of his love or the rugged Fiery chapters of Peter, who speaks of fire devouring God's enemy. If I turn to Jude, who launches forth anthems upon the foes of God, everywhere I find God speaking. It is God's voice, not man's. The words are God's words. The words of the eternal, the invisible, the almighty, the Jehovah of this earth. This, is bo- this Bible is God's Bible. And when I see it, I seem to hear a voice springing up from it saying, I am the book of God, man read me. I am God's writing, open my pages, for I was penned by God, read it, for he is my author, and you will see him visible and manifest everywhere. We can test the spirits just by seeing if this word is neglected. We can test the spirits just to see if this word is watered down. We can test the spirits by seeing if this word is just misused, misquoted, insulted. We can test the spirits by just seeing how this word is treated. Because according to the Bible itself, it's carrying the authority of God's voice. If we can test the spirits. Number two, to test the spirits, look to see how the word of God is perceived. How do we perceive the Word of God? How do you perceive the Word of God? How does pastors perceive the Word of God? How does different religions perceive the Word of God? Is it an ancient book? Is it a book of history? Is it a book that would help your family be successful? Is it a book that guides your behavior in a way that is really conducive to the world that we live in? Is it a book of wisdom? How do you perceive the Word of God? Well, the way that we should perceive the Word of God is the way that the Word of God perceives itself. The way that we should perceive the Word of God is the way the Word of God perceives itself. Here's how the Word of God perceives itself. Psalms 46, six said, He, being God, uttered his voice, and the earth melted. Job 40. Have you an arm like God, or can you thunder with a voice like his? Psalms 29, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The voice of the, of the wilderness, the Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everyone says, glory. Psalms 33, 6, by the word of the Lord, by the word of the Lord, not his hand, not his body, not his presence, by the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. It was the voice of God that separated the heavens from the earth. It was the voice of God that fueled the fire in the sun. It was the voice of God that put the stars in place. It was a voice of God that, that took the dry land and the water and completely separated. It was a voice of God that planted the trees, erected the mountains, carved out the valleys. It was a voice of God that designed the depths of the sea. It was a voice of God that put the animals in place. The voice of God literally spoke things into being by the sheer power of what? That voice. God is magnifying something. <laughs> he's magnifying something. He's magnifying something big. It's not his being that he's magnifying that's big in Scripture. He's magnifying his voice that is big in Scripture. In Psalms 138 it says, You have magnified your word above your name. Magnify means what? Greatly exalted. And this verse says, You've taken your word above what? Your name. What is your name? Your name is your position. It's your, your status. God's not going to lose that. Guarantee he's not going to lose that. He has his position. He has his status. But what is your word? Your word is your character. Your word is your heart. Your word is, is who you are, who your being is. It's interesting that when the angels were praising God before Jesus came to earth, who were they praising? They are praising and worshiping his being, And they stood in complete majestic glory that says, this is absolutely crazy and we'll worship for the rest of our lives, for the rest of eternity, because it's absolutely amazing. But something else took place. When Jesus came down to earth, what happened? His heart, his character, his mind, and his motions were all of a sudden revealed to mankind. We now only don't see the presence of God, we see the heart of God. We see the love of God. It is his character that all of a sudden was revealed. So when he says, my word is carrying who I am, and then Ephesians chapter two says, for eternity, what will we be doing? Praising Jesus for what he did. So when we're there two billion years into eternity, we'll still be praying, praising Jesus for what he did. Why? Because that's the character of revelation. The character of God has been revealed through the Son, Jesus Christ. That's why he's carrying so much Name and the Word. Puts it all together in John 1. He said, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, God's glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and full of truth. God wants to communicate to us. And when He wants to communicate to us, He communicates to us, through His Word and through His Son. Those are the two areas that He wants to communicate. And when we read His Word and we see His Son, we understand His heart. We understand His mind. We understand His character. We understand who He is. I Just look at this, this verse in John. It just absolutely amazes me because a lot of people go, well, I just don't understand religion because I don't understand the Bible. Well, God says I want to make the Bible really, really clear. So what I will do is I will send Jesus, a human being, to proclaim exactly what my heart says. And so what does he do? Jesus comes to earth and makes that proclamation of who God is. What's interesting is that I don't speak fish. (laughs) In other words, I don't know that language. I don't speak cow. I have a lot of cows, but I don't speak cow. I can't communicate to them. I don't speak donkey. I don't speak horse. But we speak what? Human being. And when we speak human being and we see exactly what Jesus did, we see exactly who the heart of God is. You see, the Word is proclaiming who He is. The Word is giving us an understanding of who He is. Martin Luther says this To me, the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays a hold of me. It's not dead, it's the proclamation of who God is. Number three, to test the spirits, look to see the Word. Look to see if the Word of God is the dominant authority. There's a lot of things that compete with the Word of God. And when I say the Word of God, I'm saying the Bible. Special revelations, angelic visits... Dreams and visions, the audible voice, prophetic enlightenments. There's just a lot of things that are out there that that compete with the Word of God. Dreams and and visions, and, and they carry this power, they carry this authority, and they carry this influence that are carrying religions, are carrying people, are carrying directions. The Bible must be the dominant authority, and why should it be the dominant authority? Because the Bible says it needs to be the dominant authority. Here's a passage in 2 Peter, and I'll read it, then I'll explain it. So understand as we read it, because it might be a complicated passage, but you'll see what's being communicated through it. For when, remember who wrote this? Peter wrote it. For when Jesus received honor and glory from the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, who I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him in the holy mountain. So we have a prophetic word made more sure, to which you do pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the days of dawn and the morning star arises in its hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So just put this story in perspective. This is Peter that is speaking, and he's talking about an incident that took place when Jesus is alive. And the incident that he was talking about is Jesus' baptism. Now, Jesus' baptism is a pinnacle in Scripture. And the reason why it's such a pinnacle in Scripture is because there's only one place in Scripture where the entire Trinity was present. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it was in Jesus' baptism. Jesus was standing in the water. He was baptized. The Holy Spirit ascended on him like a dove. And then the audible voice came from the Father, said, this is my beloved Son, who I'm well pleased. So it is a picture that every single one of the Gospels say. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Not even all the Gospels give the Christmas message, but they give all this, this, this huge enlightenment of the baptism because it carries so much weight, it carries so much power, and so much beauty. And here's what Peter is saying. Peter is saying, I was there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me. I was there when that whole Trinity got together. (laughs) I was there when it took place. I was there when Jesus went under the water and the Holy Spirit ascended like a dove. I was there when the audible voice spoke. I was there. And he's taking a lot of credit. I was there and it was absolutely amazing. But then that voice points to you and points to me and says, but you have something better. You have something better. I don't want to use better because I want to use the exact words. You have something more sure than that. You have something more sure than that. What is it? But know this first of all. No prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But by men, by the Holy Spirit spoke from God You have the prophetic word, which is what? This. What do you mean by more sure? I'd say more sure means more understood than even being there. How could that be more um, understood? Well, the reason why it could be more understood is because I can go back to where the Trinity was when Jesus was being baptized, and I can read it a thousand times. I can look through every single statement that is said, every single thing that is made, and I can read it and read it and read it and read it and and let it soak into my system of how beautiful it was. But if I am hungry for an audible voice or a dream, I only get like three seconds. (laughs) I get three seconds to get the information, and I don't know how your mind works, but my mind works, I forget the information once it's given to me. But we have information that's written down. That's what more sure means, is that when you have the information of God's heart, God's character, and God's mind written down, (laughs) you can open it up anytime you want. You can see it anytime you want. My wife often sends me to Costco, and when she sends me to Costco, um, she gives me a list. And the reason why she gives me a list, a written list, is because she used to give me verbal lists. And she used to say, I want you to get this, 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 and this, and this. And I'm like, okay, honey, I got it right in my mind. And then I'd go into Costco, and that list was completely gone. It was no longer in my mind. And then I would buy everything that she said to get, and then I'd go home and say, hey, here it is. And I'd get about 20% of it right (laughs) and 80% of it wrong. Um, so my wife knows me. She says, okay, I'm working with Mike's mind. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to write something on paper. And as I write something on paper, I will hand it to him and he can carry it into the store. Let me tell you how awesome this is. You can be in all these groceries, thousands and thousands and thousands of groceries with a narrowed list from your wife. And you can come back to her and say a hundred percent every single time. It's awesome. Why? Because it's written down. And when it's written down, I could go to her and say, this is it. Why is God writing it down? So we can go back to it more and more and more and feed ourselves more and more and more and more into it to try to get the exact understanding of God's heart, God's mind, God's character. What if God didn't have a word that was written down and said, I'm just going to use my audible voice. I'll tell you, this world would be messed up, wouldn't it? Why? Because we'd be just chasing everything. We, We don't know. What did he say? He said something to you. He said something to me. The spirits are absolutely crazy. Yet... What has taken place is that there are things that are spirits that are out there that are bringing a distraction to what the Word of God. And often they are dreams, often they are, and I'm not saying there isn't dreams, but often they're prophetic voices, often they're audible voices, often they're experiences. Jeremiah had this problem, Jeremiah 23, and this is what he says about the problem that he is facing. I have heard what the prophets have said, meaning I have heard what the Bible, the prophets, the word has said, who prophesy falsely in my name, saying, I had a dream, I had a dream. How long is there anything in the hearts of the prophets who prophesied falsehood? Even those prophets of the deception of their own heart, who who intend to make my people forget my name by their dreams which they relate to one another. The prophet who has a dream may relate his dream, but let him who has my word, speak my word in truth. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer who shatters a rock? Therefore, behold, I'm against the prophet, declares the Lord, who steal my words from each other. Behold, I'm against the prophet, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare the Lord says. Behold, I am against those who have prophesied false dreams, declares the Lord, and related them and led my people astray by their falsehoods and reckless boasting. Yet I did not send them or command them, nor do they furnish this people the slightest benefit, declares the Lord. For you will no longer remember the oracle. The oracle is the word of God. For you will no longer remember the oracle of the Lord." Because every man's own word will become the oracle. And you have perverted the words of the living God, the Lord of hosts, our God. Spurgeon says this, I have little confidence in those persons who speak of having received a direct revelation from the Lord as though he appeared otherwise than by and through the gospel. His word is so full, so perfect, that for God to make any fresh revelation To you or me is quite needless. To do so would to be put a dishonor upon the perfection of the word. And that is a typo in our notes. It's the capital W word, the Bible. Hebrews 1 says, In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory in the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. It's really interesting that in that passage, he's given us the two things to test the spirit that John gave. We don't even know the author of who Hebrews is, but John says what? It's the Son, and it's the word. Those two can test every single spirit that is out there. Number four, to test the spirits, look to see if there are any additions or subtractions to the Word of God. I remember the days I used to sweat when i take a test. And the reason why I, te- I sweat when I took a test is because I wanted the right answer. And then multiple choice was the most difficult test for me. I don't know why, but they give me four answers and every single one of them just looks good for some reason. And, and the problem is, is that only one is good and three is bad. And so I would take the test and they'd give me the results and I'd get the score, which is this is absolutely wrong. And I'm like, okay. And then they put it on my grade and then they put it on my, my grade and then they gave it to my mom and then I was in trouble. I mean, that's just how the system worked. I wanted to get it right, but I could not get it right. It's black and white. Well, there is a black and white that is out there. And one area of black and white with the Word of God is don't add anything to it and don't subtract anything. It's black or white. Don't add anything to it. Don't subtract anything. There's only one word and this is the Word of God and for 1,700 years, this is the one that has been used. Don't add anything to it and don't subtract into it. Don't grab another Bible. Don't add another Bible. And if there is another Bible, what's taking place is it's the wrong spirit that is speaking. Revelation twenty two says this, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. It's talking about the Bible. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which were written in the book. Those plagues are worse than the ones that my mom gave me when I had the wrong answer. <laughs> Just to let you know. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of the prophecy, the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. So how do you test the spirits? Well, if the Bible says this is the only word of God don't add and don't subtract, we can easily test the spirits to say, this is the way it is. And if it's the way it is and I believe it, then that is the right spirit. That is the correct spirit. And John gets really, really narrowed in when he makes a statement. Whoever knows God listens to, not the word, listens to us. And who's us? Us. The ones that literally wrote the Bible, the apostles, John, Paul, Matthew, Mark. Those are the people that he is saying listen to. Number five, to test the spirits, look to see if there are any contradictions to the word of God. Culture is a powerful thing extremely powerful thing. And you do not know it's a powerful thing until you leave our culture. And what I mean by a powerful thing is that our culture is so ingrained into us. It's, it's like a ruler. <laughs> it's like a, a Lord. Our culture is so ingrained into us that when we go something that's against our culture, what takes place is there's just like, there's this friction, there's this, this angst, there's this anxiety that takes place. Let me give you an example. I was in Africa when I was in Africa, I was eating in the car and I had a, a bag of garbage. And I said, oh, well, what do you want me to do with the garbage? And the African person said, oh, well, I'll just throw it out the window. And I'm like, throw it out the window? He goes, yeah, just like this. And he grabbed his garbage and he just threw it out the window. And I grabbed my garbage and I, I, I could not throw it out the window. <laughs> I, I don't know, I just, I, there, was just, there was just a resistance that would not allow me to throw my garbage out the, the window. Why was there a resistance? It's because I live in America. And you can't just throw your garbage Out the window. And I looked at him and I said, you know, this is wrong. You shouldn't be throwing your garbage out the window. everybody throws their garbage out the window. I said, yeah, but that's not right. It is not right. And you shouldn't be doing it. He goes, oh, well, maybe we should talk about your culture then. He said, you might not think that's right. Well, I don't think it's right for you guys to be liars in America. And I'm like, liars? What are you talking about, liars? He goes, "If, if you ever go to America, which he had, if you ever go to America... Um, and you ask somebody how their day is, what do they say? It's going good. (laughs) It's a great day. Their day could be going as bad as you can possibly ever imagine. And Do you know what they'll always say? They'll always say, oh, it's, it's a great day. It's a great day. No, things are going good. Things are going good. In fact, they really do it at church. They'll walk in and say, hey, how's your day? And everybody says great day because nobody wants to say bad day. And he says, we don't do that in Africa because we don't want to be set up to lie. And nobody really wants to listen to you either when you say, how's your day? And then you've got to give a logical explanation of how bad it was because it was a, a bad day. You'll know, So you Americans are liars. When you stand before God, we're not going to get judged by throwing our trash out, but you'll get judged for lying. You see how our culture just completely ingrains into ourselves and, and as it completely ingrains and rules us, we say, well, this is the right decision when it might not be the right decision, but culture has that influence. Here's our culture right here. This is supposed to be our culture. We are called the children of God, and this is supposed to be our culture. And it's supposed to dominate every single culture that we, that we live in. And what I mean by dominate every single culture that we live in is if the Bible has given me direction, given me points, given me areas of way to live, way not to live, all those things. And even our culture makes a law that says this is a law in the American culture, but yet if it contradicts with this word, we should just we should feel it. We should feel it because this is it's a culture. It's in us. We have a new savior, we have a new God. We have a new way of living. We have a new outlook, a new life. And anything that contradicts with this, we should feel it. We should know it. Jeremiah 15 says, Thy words were found, and I ate them. And thy words became for me a joy and a delight of my heart. For I have been called by thy name, O Lord of hosts. He did what? He found them, and he ate them, and then the words became joy and a delight to my heart. He didn't just read the book as a story book. He read the book that stuck so deep into his soul that it was him. It was his joy, it was his emotion, it was his behavior, it was his attitude. Revelation says this, and I took the little book of the angels, uh, I took the little book out of the angels hand and I ate it. Here's John speaking of the same things. And it was in my mouth sweet as honey, and when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. What's he talking about? He's using an aggressive term, eating. And the reason why they're using this aggressive term is because when you eat something, it goes into your blood system. It goes into your entire system. It's not something you just read. It's something that you devour that goes into your system. And when it goes into your system, yeah, we might get the preaching of the word here, but as it goes into your system on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, what are you doing? You're sweating it when the time comes. You need to make a decision. It's coming out. That's where it's at. Not the American decision, the gospel decision that you're making. When you're concerned and nervous, what takes place in life, you go to the Word and you eat it, you swallow it, it goes into your system. And then what comes out according to Jeremiah was, was joy. The Word is more powerful than just a simple historical book or even a book of wisdom or even a book of how to behave. The Word is the Word of God. And it carries the power to test every single spirit, therefore, if you look at the spirits, you just wonder, "Is this right? Is this wrong?" Yeah, look to Christ when He came, but look to how the word is treated. Look to how the word is used. Look to how the word carries an authoritative dominance. If it doesn't have a dominance, it's not right. It should be carrying a massive dominance. Look to see how the word is contradicted and look to see if there's any additions or subtractions. That's how we can test the spirits that are out there. 4,200 different religions, 36,000 denominations. And when I say even denominations, we can say we are Christian denominations, but even Christian denominations are just throwing the word on the shelf. How can you throw God's voice on the shelf? You can't throw it on the shelf. How can a preacher proclaim And supposed to read the oracles of God and not give it. There must be the word is spoken. You'll see that through history, every revival that's ever taken place is when the word arises. Therefore, test the spirits by looking at it. And the only way that we're going to be able to test it by looking at it is we need to be reading it ourselves every single day. Let's pray. God, we thank you that your word is written. We thank you that we can go to it every single day, every single hour, every single minute of the day. And God, during these minutes, we can hear the voice of the Lord. We can get an understanding of your heart, your mind, your will, your emotions, your desires, your loves, your passions, directly from your word. We just thank you, God, that you've chosen to speak to us. And we thank you that the way that you've chosen to speak to us is in our hands. And we have access to it whenever we want. God, protect us, God, as we live in this world, as many spirits are out there. I just pray that we'll hold on to your word um, above all. In Christ's name, amen.